From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast, doing a midweek edition, uh, addressing some question and answer stuff that has come in, and also going back over some things from the Wake Forest Podcast. Uh, finally getting to where I can actually start to do more stuff during the week, which is uh, which is going to be nice. I've got some things coming in terms of some uh, video analyses and all of that for some of the stuff over the next few weeks, uh, which should uh, get back to some of the stuff that I used to do uh, not, not that long ago and uh, want to get back to doing a lot more of. So uh, excited to do that. As always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. Also by the Unconquered Shop. Order some stickers, support the podcast. Really uh, goes a long way, even with a few purchases. So that's helpful. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get to it. Uh, just going to start with some question and answer stuff. And the first has to do with Julian Armella. And I've gotten a number of people who've asked what I think on this. On you know, we talking about you know, should we see Julian Armella play sooner than later? I mean, how soon are we going to see this guy? Uh, the the best and and most ready to go uh offensive line recruit from last year's recruiting class how soon can we you know expect to see him step in step on the field and and uh take over you know after especially what we saw last week where uh Justin Turnitin had a rough outing uh to say the least uh definitely had a a not so good outing and you know the idea is uh and this has come up from more than one place of Armella clearly can't be worse than what we just saw and, uh, you know, the thing that I'll say to that is, first of all, yes, he can, uh, never, I'm, 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 I never cease to be amazed by college football fans, optimism that things truly can't get worse. Listen, it, there's, there's a point at which things can't get really any better, but never underestimate the potential downside of things. Things can always get worse. Trust me, you're pretty close to always. And so that's first and foremost. Yes, they can get worse. And generally speaking, if a player is not playing, that means that coaches don't actually believe that things are going to be significantly enough better to play that player, which means that there might actually be downside. (laughs) It might actually mean it might actually be worse. So uh, that usually means less consistency in practice and all that. And we've seen a lot of inconsistency from Turnitine. Now, all that said, do I think that Armella would potentially, by the you know second or third game that he's in there, represent an improvement over what we're seeing from Turnitine now? Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't think that you want to drop him in against NC State and Clemson, who are the two best defensive lines you're going to play. I don't think that's a good idea, especially, I mean, look, we we did get to see against Duquesne, we got to see Armella play, and he's not ready. He's just not ready yet. He's getting closer, but the footwork is not there. He's not prepared. And you want him to get into games where he's actually developed good habits in full, and he's he's doing things the right way. Uh, the other thing is that in general, I I tend to to be of the of the view that if you can afford at any at any cost not to play a true freshman, especially a true freshman who did not early enroll and have the advantage of uh, that extra semester of weight training and more weight training on campus in the summer, if you can avoid playing a true freshman on the offensive line. That's better for your program. 
So this is one of those things. If I'm a coach, I'm looking at this and saying, okay, look, I might get 10% better if I put, put Julian Armella in right now. But that brings into the realm of possibility that he has happened to him what happened to Maurice Smith, to Robert Scott, to Darius Washington, to Thomas Schrader, to Jawan Williams, to Landon Dickerson. Uh, need I go on? All of the players that I just mentioned are guys who played as freshmen and got hurt. This happens all the time, and I've watched it over and over and over again that you have a really talented, true freshman plays right away as a true freshman, gets hurt, and then the entire development cycle for that player is thrown off. Instead of getting a good offseason to get stronger and develop that, that between the freshman and sophomore years or freshman and redshirt freshman year, that guy's doing rehab. So then the next year he comes in and he's not as strong as he would have been would have been before and he gets dinged up again. And then you go through another season of rehab and he's just on that cycle and just gets hurt over and over and over again. And I talked in the preseason about how this this season with what they've got in terms of guys on the roster ideally offered them the ability to rebuild that entire offensive line segment and the best way they could do that is to make sure that none of the young guys played all that many meaningful minutes against some of the best defensive lines that might push him around a little bit. Because, look, Julian Armella is a really talented youngster. He's going to be a really good offensive lineman at Florida State. If he stays healthy. But he is 18. And there is a difference between being 18, fresh out of high school, still a little baby fat on you, and being a grown man at, you know, 22 years old, 21 years old, where he's going to be facing that. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, he's going to be across from, say, Corey Durden, who, got to remember, Corey Durden was recruited to Florida State by Jimbo Fisher. Right? That's how old that guy is. That's how many years he's been working out and developing his body in, at the college level. So the thing is, is there a point at which it becomes basically such a lost cause that you've got to play Armella and it's just going to be that much like clearly he's going to be a better option? Yeah, like once you get to a place where it's like, look, he's he's 30, 40 percent better than anything else we've got at that spot. We got to play him and you take the risk, you roll the dice, but it's not just about the mental stuff. The mental stuff is a factor. Look, I think Armella is mentally strong enough to be able to handle getting beat a few times and not developing bad habits just by playing early. But usually guys do develop bad habits by playing too early. But I think he might be, you know, good enough and mentally strong enough. And again, he's a legacy guy who understands how to be coached. He's one of those guys that, you know, probably can handle it mentally more than most. But physically is my concern. And that doesn't mean like he's not a you know a specimen he is he is really that for 18 but if you watch him in terms of footwork and some of that other stuff in the Duquesne game he just ain't ready so you got to roll with what you got now the good part is if Robert Scott comes back and look I thought when I saw him go down against Louisville I thought he was done for the year based on how he got rolled up on 
But if he's out there, then even if Robert Scott is 75%, 70%, he's an improvement then at left tackle. And then that allows you to move Washington to right tackle where he's not quite as much of a liability as he is at, at, at left tackle. And you get better at two positions. And you basically allow Turnitin to be a swing guy again so that he can work in at, at guard where he's better. And then he can come in for a drive here and there at tackle. And basically, again, you're you're better off because then, you know, maybe on that drive, he doesn't have the lapses in focus and technique that have been really killing you because he's pretty good. You know, when when he's good, he's been he's been decent when he's been bad. He's been really bad. So what you want to do is, OK, you give him you give him a drive here or there to you know kind of make sure that you're keeping your depth and keeping healthy there or keeping healthier on that at that tackle spot. And, you know, you work from there. And, you know, he can really go all out on those drives. But to me, I'm if I'm one of the coaching staff, I'm really, really hesitant to to put Julian Armella in for starting rep starting reps, especially against NC State or Clemson. After the bye, after Clemson, you know, against Georgia Tech, maybe, you know, you're starting to get into that part of the schedule. You know, maybe you give him, you start getting, slide him in there for some more reps, ideally. But again, best case scenario is that you get through the season where you have not had to play him for starter minutes. He gets through the season without getting banged up, without having to go and get surgerized and then have to do all this rehab and then loses a, 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 a basically an offseason of development. Guys get better in the offseason up front, and you got to have a full offseason. So ideally you get to there and then next year he's a starter and he's ready to go and he's not likely as likely to get hurt. Like you can always get hurt up front, but if you're, if you've built that armor over a full year of weight training, you're way less likely to get hurt, especially in the shoulders and, and, and some of those upper body things that a lot of guys end up having problems with early in their careers. You get a lot of shoulder injuries early in careers. So that's ideal. Then next year you go out there and you got Robert Scott starting on one side. Maybe Julian Armella starts on the right side. You know, you can shuffle some things around, but you got some options and you can start to get some of the young talent that's been on campus for, you know, now a full year, full two years, some of them three years. And you start getting those guys in with some, some history behind them where they've got some, some training. So that to me is that's my answer to that. It's a little long-winded, but I'm I'm pretty adamantly on the side of unless he offers you a major benefit, and I think if he offered that much of a benefit, they would know from practice, and they would he would already be in there. Uh, and and again, based on what I saw against Duquesne, it's not a significant enough difference there in terms of just the level of play that I saw there, uh, in terms of fundamentals, footwork, and all of that, to really make make me ready to pull that trigger. So. I think your best bet is Robert Scott's ready to go and can, you know, at least hold hold some water there and you can help him out a little bit with some chipping and things like that. But Robert Scott's ready to go and then, you know, you move Washington over to the other side and you're still better off than you than you are right now. I think with that pair with with Scott at left and and Washington at right, I think you can compete. I think you can be good enough where you don't have some of the train wrecks that happened on Saturday you can be good enough to compete in the next two games. Maybe not win them, 
but you can at least be, you can put yourselves in games and, and you might win one, might win two. You, you, I don't know, but I think you need to have Scott on the field to be competitive there. That, that's just, I think the way it's going to be. So yeah, and Turnitin did really struggle on, on Saturday. There's just no way around that. There were times where the play was blocked up from everyone else and essentially he just was on the ground, not having really touched anyone. And, you know, a couple cases, a couple situations, he basically made the tackle himself. It's not so good. Second question uh, was uh, any part of the second half improvement in defensive perfor- performance against Wake Forest due to Wake coasting a little bit a la Louisville last season? Well, my answer to that is, first of all, Louisville didn't coast last season either. Louisville just got shut down in the second half. And, you know, they were doing the same stuff that they'd done before. They just didn't do it as well. And Louisville's a very hot, cold team, as you can see by their game-to-game results and half-to-half results in all sorts of games. When Malik Cunningham is hot, they are almost unstoppable as an offense. And then all of a sudden he goes cold and they, they struggle. We saw that in this year's game. Louisville didn't stop playing in the second half in this year's game when Florida State came back. They didn't coast. They just got cold. So whoever's spouting that is just spouting nonsense. And as far as Wake Forest goes, if you look at what they did in the second half, they did the same stuff that they'd done in the first half. It just didn't work as well. So they went up 28 to seven with the first drive of of the third quarter. Florida State then went down and scored. You're going to tell me that a team that's up two scores against Florida State's offense is going to go in the tank? Come on, get out of here. Get out of here with that nonsense. That's crazy. And if you look at the, if you look at what happened, okay, that next drive, okay, it's 28 to 13. So they're going in the tank, right? No, they run on first down for four yards. It's what they've been doing the whole game. But on the first drive of the half, that would, that first drop, first down run was nine yards. Okay. So they, they stopped them for four instead of nine on that one. Then they go no huddle and they throw the football. Oh, only this time they get sacked for a loss of 10 yards. Third and 16, well, if they're packing it in and they're not taking any risks, then clearly they're just going to run the ball, right? Especially since they've run the ball really well against Florida State. So why not just go ahead and run it? Oh, no, that's not what they do. What do they do? They throw it. Only they're sacked for a loss of six. So instead of getting the ball off for a you know a close win on a, in a one-on-one down the field or a pass interference, he can't get it off and they get stopped on that drive, okay? Next drive. First down, pass. Second down, pass. Third down, pass. Next drive, er, and then, then first down again. They uh, Hartman runs up the middle for a one-yard loss. Okay. Then run for zero yards, so they get a stop. And who gets that stop? Jared Verse, who didn't really play on the, in, on, in the first half. Then third and 11, oh, they're clearly in the tank, so they're going to run it, right, to be safe? No. They go to throw it, and Hartman sacked. You got three sacks on the, those two drives. That's not Wake Forest mailing it in. That's them doing exactly what they'd done in the first half, only this time, instead of him getting the ball off down the field, he gets sacked three times. Okay, so maybe once it's 28-21, they, they really mailed it in. No, that was the, what, 18-play drive where... They ran the ball, com- pass complete deep left, ran the ball, ran the ball, pass complete deep left, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. This is not what an offense is doing 
when a team has decided to pack it in and when they're, you know, coasting. No, Wake was still trying to score points. What happened is Florida State started winning matchups that they didn't win in the first half. Most notably, the biggest difference, there were two big differences personnel-wise in the second half. First of all, Jared Verse played most of his 20 plays in the second half. They kind of figured out that he was he was okay enough to play. And Verse caused more havoc in his, what, 22 plays or whatever it was. He caused more havoc than all of the other defensive linemen combined in this game. Verse completely changed the game when he was on the field. And that's, you know, Verse is like 50%. The other thing is that you could see a difference in coverage when Azaria Thomas came on the field. So when Thomas came in for, for Duke Cooper or for, uh, for Jerry and Jones, when Thomas came in as that other corner, he actually had a, a key breakup in the end zone at one point. And he had a couple other plays where he played it properly and was in position and Hartman was not able to take advantage of, of, of that corner. So just personnel wise, that, that made a difference. That also is really a positive development in terms of AZ Thomas, who I think we might see a good bit more of starting even this week. I think he, he might've just earned himself more time. And, and I think Duke Cooper, it's pretty clear he is not fully healthy. There were times where any double move or any sort of redirect that he had to make in terms of cutting hard off of, off of that right foot, it looked like, uh, it, it just didn't work. It's not good. And, you know, Thomas was clearly much healthier and looked like he knew what he was doing. So this sets up my third question, which is what changes did Florida State make in the second half? What adjustments did they make at the half that, you know, did things differently that helped shut things down? So this is kind of the flip side. And honestly, when I went through and I looked at what they did, they didn't really do anything different. They ran the same plan in the second half that they ran in the first half. It's the same calls. Down to down, they ran the same stuff. Only difference if you're going to call it a difference is I think they brought, they brought pressure maybe another 5% of the time. But in the first half, if you go back and you look at it, they brought the same safety pressures out of the same two safety look that they brought in the second half. Didn't get home the first time uh, a couple times. And actually uh, there was a key missed tackle on, on one of them in the first half, but those worked in the second half. They used the same cover seven, base that they used in the first half through most of it. And and by the way, when you see or hear other folks talking about, you know, whether Florida State's in man or zone and they're talking about FSU being in man or, you know, not sure whether this is man or zone or what coverage it is, or I don't know if this is, if this is man or if this is quarters or whatever, I can tell you 95 times out of a hundred Florida State's in cover seven. If, if somebody's having any trouble with that. Fuller's base defense, just like Nick Saban's base defense, is cover seven. Now, Saban runs more Rip Liz than Fuller, but uh, but it's cover seven. Now, cover seven is a man-match version of quarters. So, essentially, it's a, it's a quarters defense, but you are matching the verticals, depending. So, if you get multiple verticals, number one is going to get matched by the corner, etc. It becomes man-to-man based on vertical release. It's real simple. There are a number of checks to formation and all of that. It's a really flexible coverage. It's a hard coverage to teach, but it's the modern coverage that a lot of teams base out of these days. Uh, and, you know, it's Fuller's base. It's what it's what they do. Now, out of that, they'll rotate to 
uh, some Rip Liz, which is a, a middle of field closed single safety uh, man match zone. Uh, they'll rotate to some robber. Sometimes, you know, you'll see true man free, but that's pretty rare. And they also come in uh, with some when they have been in man, they've they've been in mostly cover two man so far this year. But against Wake Forest, they they basically played uh, some of that too high type stuff, but mostly, like I said, cover seven, uh, where they're letting the the corners really play those those receivers. And then if you don't have a second vertical from the inside, you've got a little bit of safety support there, uh, while still letting the safeties have some uh, some run fit responsibility as a secondary run fitter. Uh, doing a lot of that with a light box, which is what they should have done, and they did that in the first half, and they did a lot of it in the second half. They they really didn't change what they did in the second half. So what did what did Fuller really change? Well, they didn't really change a whole lot in terms of calls. It was the same stuff, but they basically executed it pretty significantly differently. And uh, among the the most notable differences is that when uh, Wake Forest went to some bunch sets and uh, some of the the things that they did to cause some mis- miscommunication in the secondary for Florida State, Florida State had some problems with that in the first half, as they have. All, all season, basically, and throughout the past few years. Uh, and that's more of a back-end situation in terms of what you're doing in terms of coaching your defensive backs and all that. That's something that you can definitely criticize. But they basically cleaned up some of their communication there, and they they got a bead on some of the RPO-type stuff that, that Wake Forest was doing, you know, using the glance routes, or actually they used some sort of shorter square-in-type stuff, like a, a more of a flatter glance concept off of some of these um some of these RPOs they started having that that safety collision that actually on the uh, on the AT Perry side Perry is so good at offensive pass interference that he was just getting himself free and they started bracketing him more clearly with that with that uh that safety so that's just a check in coverage off the same coverage look and they basically did that and they trusted the corner not to get beat over the top which was a little easier once they, you know, sort of saw that their corners were more or less matching up there, even though they did get beat on a couple uh, of, of key plays. But basically, they got stops in the second half because they had guys winning some one-on-ones up front. Jared Verse winning some. They had uh, a couple other guys win some. They had some guys make some plays on on the blitzes that they didn't make in the first half. And then they had a couple guys actually make plays in terms of, of coverage that didn't happen in the first half. So that, that really was the difference. And then... At the end, ultimately, they just kind of ran out of gas in terms of the ability to stop the run on that last drive, and they had a couple of really, really bad uh, missed assignments on the back end. You had, a again, a cover seven situation where uh, the corner is supposed to come off uh, with and, and allow the, uh, the underneath the, the linebacker to take the, uh, the, the, the slant route or the glance route when you've got that, uh, that uh, working to the flat there and you've got a back work into the flat there had a miscommunication guy didn't come off you wind up with a key first down there I mean just little things like that that's what cost them late it was the same stuff that cost them early so there's really no difference between the first half and the second half in terms of plan in terms of what they did in terms of the mistakes that ultimately bit them the difference is that in the second half they managed to clean up some communication and get some guys actually winning one-on-one battles with good technique and, and also having some of your athletes on the field that, that were able to match up a little bit better in a couple cases. That was the difference. 
Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Anybody who's telling you otherwise is just feeding into a narrative, not looking at what actually happened on the field. Now, one other thing that I am going to uh, to have a quick uh, Patreon video on, uh, expecting to release that the same day that this podcast releases, uh, is that uh, this is not the first game that this has been the case, but uh, it was definitely the case against Wake Forest that Florida State's guards were tipping uh, their their plays a little bit in terms of run plays. It was obvious at certain points when one side of the offensive line, or especially when one of the guards was going to be pulling. And I, and I think Wake Forest did a good job scouting in advance and scouted that out. And it was pretty clear that they were, that they were managing their front to where the puller was going to go. And that impacted some things in the running game. One thing that they did in the second half that helped them is they <clears throat> noticed that the gap running schemes that they were using and Norvell has traditionally used a lot of G, uh, which is a particular run uh, run concept. He used he's used a lot of G concept uh, against tight fronts, which is something that that Wake Forest ran against uh, FSU in this game. And really, nobody else has has played a tight front against FSU so far in the running game. Wake Wake came in and did that. Norvell has typically just eviscerated the the tight front with a lot of G stuff but that requires that your your tackles handle the four eyes of the of the uh of the tight front and then you get a guard pulling around the the strong side tackle you get your strong side guard actually pulling around the strong side tackle and he can actually make that make those plays but if they know that a guard is going to pull or if they they kind of anticipate what you're doing they can sometimes knife that and and it didn't it didn't even matter in certain cases that turnitine in particular is having trouble handling those those four eyes uh, and also three techniques to his side. So, you know, that stuff didn't quite go as they wanted uh, in that respect. So they they started running a little bit more, you know, true split zone, some things like that, where guys were just running on tracks and, you know, stepping as opposed to any pulling. And they had more success in the running game when they did that. Uh, but, you know, I, I actually checked in with with them on on those on those uh, on that tipping and, and did get confirmed that their own self scout also identified the same t- tipping issue that I did. Uh, and so this is the sort of, I mean, and this is the sort of thing that good coaching staffs notice and, and take care of. It's hard to avoid that happening once in a while, uh, especially as you're, you know, going through, you know, day after day on running the same stuff. You just have to, when, when it happens, you self scout, you notice that it happened and you, you work from there. So that's something that I do think will get fixed. And uh, and and should be addressed moving forward, and should help them in terms of the running game and otherwise. But uh, but that was definitely a feature or a factor in this game as well in terms of run success and all of that. And, and frankly, I thought going back through Norvell and the offensive coaching staff, I, I do think they got a little bit out coached on that side of the ball, which is really one of the first times since Norvell has been on campus where I I could say that. Uh, they've generally consistently outcoached the the opposing defensive staff, but in this game, I, I thought there were some things that that Wake did that weren't really what I'd seen from Wake so far this year. Uh, with some wide nines, and I know Alex Atkins mentioned this as well, putting the defensive ends really wide in a in an odd front and letting those guys basically take on the tackles forcing the tackles to do a really deep set and then taking them on and, and making life uncomfortable for uh, for Jordan Travis with a, a smaller number of rush uh, of rushers. 
and Florida State didn't really adjust to that all that well. I mean, that's something where you go empty, uh, you do some of these things to be able to get the ball out of your quarterback's hands and make them, you know, basically pay for getting those guys that wide. Or you chip with a with a back or a tight end. You know, if you're going to have those in, you chip them to to help your tackles. And they didn't really do that early on. Uh, really didn't do that at all. But they they moved to some other concepts that helped them in the second half there. And that's where I do think in the first half they they didn't actually have you know the plan I think in hindsight they wish they would have done some things a little bit differently I'm sure uh if you ask them that there are some things that they could identify that like well yeah we could have done this better we could have done this better as a staff to have them prepared to play on the defensive side as I've said I think the the basic plan was pretty good it was what they needed to do they just didn't execute it all that well initially and uh I think mostly they they got their butts kicked at defensive tackle at times and uh I thought the I thought the linebackers really struggled in this game. This was one where uh this was Bethune's worst outing uh at Florida State and Deloach had some of the same problems that he's had that he's he's shown at times here and there where he's made an occasional mistake and he made just a few more of them in this game. Uh and Lundy also had had some mistakes as well. They got reached. There are a number of, of cases where, you know, Wake will do some double team stuff that will and and move some guys around that'll potentially move a linebacker's gap or a, a backer will have to kind of uh, play two different gaps, depending on what you're doing up front. And there are a few, few cases where the backers were, were peaking or just not, they're just slightly out of their, out of their proper gap and their backs did a good job of recognizing playing a little cat and mouse with the, with the backers and, and making them wrong. Uh, and that happened a few times in this game. Beyond that, I mean, really, uh, the defense, you know, it, it is, this was just a game that the, the, the injuries on defense caught up with them. Uh, I think if you have Fabian Lovett in a healthy verse in this game, Florida State wins this game. I think if Duke Cooper is fully healthy and, and ready to go, you might win this game. It just it's one of those one of those things where Wake was and they might be the, the best or the second best offense on the schedule. Uh they were they were in position to expose some of those injuries for what they are and, and 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 Florida State just as a team is not where they were in position to be able to to maintain four quarters of productivity and and solid play solid enough play to beat Wake. Interestingly, uh Bill Connolly just released the advanced box score in his analysis of that where basically Florida State really should have won this game in terms of how the overall game was played. They just lost the second quarter pretty badly. And, you know, basically, I think Florida State won three quarters of this game and they lost one quarter badly and that was enough to lose the game. So, you know, they're they're good enough to beat a Wake Forest. They're good enough to to beat an NC State or a Clemson coming up, even with the roster they have. They're, they're not going to be completely out of it. It's not impossible. But I mean, really, they're going to need Robert Scott. I think that's that's pretty obvious. They're going to need Robert Scott to be as competitive as 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 you want them to be to have more than like a two and 10, three and 10 chance of, of winning, you know, one of the next two games, you, you get, you get a Robert Scott on the field, who's maybe 70%. And that, that changes those numbers pretty significantly just because you're not uh, in a position where you can't block the edge. So all that said, we'll go ahead and wrap there. This has been the Unconquered podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.
The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.